0: All right, we are in Mark chapter 9. The last couple of verses of Mark chapter 9, then we'll go into chapter 10. These are, uh, if you're a visitor and staying with us, first of all, well done you. Uh, you come in and you visit a, cl- uh, a church and you stay for the class even on a holiday weekend. Uh, that, that's something which I very much respect and thank you. Remember, we talked about Jesus using hyperbole. Let me me just run through that again. When you try to read the Bible as if it was a legal document, you miss a lot because it was not written as a legal document. It was written as a narrative. Now, some of it was written as rules as well. There's no question. But the Bible allows Jesus to speak like we speak. There's something called hyperbole. That's where you overspeak. Mamas, you'll talk about this. I've told you a million times. Unlikely, but we get the point. Or you're always doing that. Unlikely. They probably take breaks for snacks and other activities. But we get the point. That's called hyperbole. Everybody understands that. That's hyperbole. Because some people are a literalist and don't. Most people understand hyperbole. When Jesus has just finished a part talking about, if you can't stop your eyes from looking at bad things, pluck them out. That's hyperbole. There have sadly been people who literally have maimed themselves, thinking that's what God wanted. Allow God to talk in our language. One of the the starkest examples of this would be Jesus saying, he's going to spend three days and three nights in the tomb. Did he? No. Not the way, not literally, not 72 hours, but he spent parts of three days in the tomb. We understand that. Unless you're a literalist, and there are people who have even written self-published books, they're almost always self-published, and these people have access to post offices and they mail them to me that will back it up and say, Jesus had to have been crucified on a Wednesday morning at this time for this to have happened. And you're going, that's not the way it worked. Um, hyperbole. There's also synecdoche. That's in the second bit. That's synecdoche, where you use a part of something as if it were a whole. So we only spent part of that time. But, you know, um, for example, uh, if you're married to somebody who is slow getting ready, I don't want to be sexist here. It can go either way, let's say. And you say, when are you going to be ready? And they'll say, I'll be ready in a minute. That's a synecdoche. It's not going to be a minute. That's, that's giving you a portion to represent the whole. The whole is, I'll see you Tuesday. That's, you get the idea. Please allow them to use expressions, idioms. Even if those idioms are not plain to us, and we have to go back and look in context to see what they are, one of the objections to this that it was in my particular tribe where people were saying, "But the Bible is supposed to be so easy to understand that any honest person can." Where did you get that? The Bible never says that. It talks about wrestling with it with fear and trembling. It talks about working within the community. It talks about the Ethiopian eunuch saying, I, who could get this? And Philip didn't look at him and say, if you're an honest person reading the scripture. He began at that point to explain things to him. We need to keep things in our context. So, let's go now to verses 49 and 50. Everyone will be salted with fire. That's an expression. That's an idiom. It doesn't mean you're going to be on fire or salt thrown on you. But what does it mean? It is not a phrase we use. We will all go through trials. He's saying, you know, it'd be better for you to cut off your hand and let it sin and such. But he's saying, you need to understand, we will all go through trials. We will all go through hard times. That's not the end of things for you. And the... Um, Marine Corps training, uh, United States Marine Corps, we've been British Royal Marines for a long time, but this, our son's our first United States Marine, and when they go in, there's a lot of things. When, when you have a kid go into the Marines, they, um, the Marines adopt you. Um, they, they come by and check on you, and, and it's, it's amazing. But they also give you a chart of this is what your kid's going to go through. They don't call them kid a child at that point. Uh, this is what your son or your daughter is going to go through. And so every day you're thinking, "Oh, today's the gas thing, or A, hey, today's this out of the other. By the way, we found out they don't always hold to that, but, we, so, but we, our prayers are being randomly assigned by God to the right days. But then comes the crucible. Anybody heard about the crucible? Okay. Crucible takes place over three days. Not 72 hours, it doesn't go the whole. But they only get a couple of meals during this time. They only get a few hours sleep during this time. They are being pushed, 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 pushed. Yelled at, confused, thrown into things. I've had people say at the end of it, you are saluting trees. You are just out of it. But, they have, but you better be still in it to pass the crucible. At the very end of it, you go on, um, what is it, like a five-mile run, but that's, that's your, it's like, yay, it's only five miles. <laughs> and uh, if you've been to Paris Island, you realize after a while, they're actually running you in circles because it's not that big a place. Why do they do all of that? Because there may come a time where we can't feed you, but you still need to fight. There may come a time where you can't sleep and you're confused. And you're not sure what's going on, but you still need to be able to hear us when we tell you what to do. Do you survive the crucible? You can go look up the crucible on YouTube and such and find some amazing stories there. Um, I'm sure the Army has their own version of this. I know the the Rangers do, but I don't know what the Rangers call theirs. Uh, The point being, crucible, gone through the crucible. We've been refined through the fire. Why is it salted with fire? Ah, salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can you make it salty again? Have salt among yourselves and be at peace with each other. This is so full of Eastern thought that we don't get. So, let's start. I've told you this before scientist. scientists. Um, salt and light are the two things you have to always factor into your equation, whether they're present or absent, because... They are called positive forces. If they are present, they change things. Our very presence should change things. But it's much, much, much more than this. Salt was life. Back then, if you, um, if you did a good job, you might be paid in salt. Because salt was hard to get. The salt mines, people died in the salt mines. It, it was brutally difficult to get. Or... They would, their skin would crack and bleed working the salt off of the ocean to dry it into big pans. In Scotland, that was a huge thing for years and years and years. There are abandoned villages now that don't even have roads going to them that, used to, that existed for hundreds of years producing salt. It preserves meat. It's important for the regulation of your systems. Let's just put it that way, in the body. Um, <laughs> those of you that Believe it when the politician tells you that science has settled, might have become unsettled a couple of weeks ago, had you been listening to science news. They finally finished another longitudinal study over 40 years and found salt really doesn't cause any of those problems they were saying it does. Oopsie. And I'm thinking there were times that my, wife, my dad fell for it, couldn't have salt in the house. So we'd go visit them. I'm the only person that would go home for Thanksgiving and lose weight. And people, my mom's an Irish cook. She, I mean, she can't, but she's a beautiful woman. I love her, but the thing she does to food is illegal. And my dad is, is even worse. So we would actually stop at fast food places on the way, go in and get like a soda, and go back by and grab a handful of salt things and put them, because we knew... You're not getting through the weekend without it. And by the end of the weekend, these things are valuable. (laughs) You can trade them for for good stuff. Salt, it gives flavor to life. It saves life. But it is also an Eastern word for trial. Are you aware that when armies went through, they would often burn the fields so that you didn't have your, your food? But then they would plow the ground with salt. Because that killed any seeds. You wouldn't be able to grow food for the next year. You might think, well, what about the year after? There won't be one. You won't be alive. The food won't be there to get you that further year. So they would salt. So salt saves life and can take it. The very trials that we wish we never had are often the very ones that make us better people. Make us stronger. Help us grow up. He's saying life is not going to be easy. But you remember who you are and be at peace with each other when things get a bit salty. That, by the way, still has survived in our language, hasn't it, as an idiom? Salty language. But sadly, it didn't come from here. That's one of those things which it looks like We got it from this, no, it actually came from sailors. Sailors from the salt had salty language, said. And so, I'm sorry, that's not interesting to you. Um, Cliff Cleveland is my spirit animal. Uh, Jesus then left that place and went into the region of Judea and across the Jordan. Again, crowds of people came to him. And as was his custom, he taught them. Some Pharisees came to him and tested him by asking, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Now, got to set it up. First of all, the visiting preacher is in the area, so the religious rulers and potentates of the area decide to test him by asking him about marriage and divorce. I'm here to tell you that 2,000 years later, they do the same thing. I'll go somewhere, and I'm talking about something completely different. People come up. What do you think about marriage, divorce, and remarriage? Or, what do you think about instrumental music? Or what do you think? They, they have these, do you know the term shibboleth? It's a Bible term. They have those set up. They're tripwires. They have no interest in learning. They have every interest in catching you. to gotcha. Jesus is smart. So, Mark's left all of his paraphernalia up here. This thing weighs 500 pounds. There we go. I keep feeling like I need to prime the pump. Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? What did Moses command you? He replied. They said, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. It's not exactly correct. So Jesus is going to sharpen that a bit. It was because your hearts were hard that Moses wrote you this law. Now, you may not know the history. Here's the history. Um, well, I'm going to back up before I run into it. Every so often you have somebody who say, in the Bible they allowed people to have slaves. That shows God's not righteous or good. People, slavery's bad. Bad, 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 bad. Right, we all agree there, slavery's bad. However, they lived in a time where there was no nation-state as such that we understand it today. There were no rights, Bill of Rights, Constitution, no standing army for the vast majority of ancient peoples. You had no standing police force either. Therefore, if you, your fields have been salted and you were hungry, you either died or you put yourself in service to somebody else. That was called slavery, but it was voluntary. But in some areas, it became uh, brutal, like the term we think of, slavery, today. S- but not among the Jews. The Jews were told, no, here's a regulation. In fact, if you look through the Old Testament, God kept making it easier and easier for slaves to leave. He kept changing the regulations. He'd, because the world was changing and becoming more nation-state based. But until then, it was if, if somebody came to me and said, I and my family will come and be your slaves if you will protect us and give us food and shelter. That was okay. You know, I, I, We could make that agreement. Then I'm responsible for their protection. That was a whole lot better than just being left out there. But if they wanted to leave, they could leave. But if they didn't want to leave, there was even a way to show that they didn't want to leave. Do you remember that one? Earring although I don't know that they put anything in, they made a hole in their ear to show we're here voluntarily. We don't want to leave. So, all that said, then we come to husbands and wives. What happens to a woman who's being beaten by her husband, mistreated by her husband, insulted by her husband? Her husband will not care for her. What does she do? Well, in most Semitic countries, then she could go home. Unless there was no home, unless dad was dead, then there was no place for her to go. These people routinely became slaves or prostitutes if they were young enough, or they just died. They sat down and died. Like, remember the widow in the time of Elijah? We're just going to eat our meal and sit here and die. She was out of options at that stage. God saw the way some men were treating their wives and said, no, you don't love her. You mistreat her. You have to give her freedom, a certificate of divorce. She can marry whoever she wants to after that. It was not a shame in that society. You were able to say, no, I'm cleared. The shame was on the guy that didn't keep his covenant. The book of Malachi has a really weird expression we don't get because we don't know the idioms of the Jews. But God talks about, I hate divorce. But then he says, and I hate a man who covers himself with violence. Well, (coughs) we don't get it. it. We just think it means a violent guy. No, cover yourself with violence meant to beat your wife. To be angry and mean physically or verbally to your wife. He says, I hate that. And that's what caused God, well, one of the reasons why, after he wrote that book about the way they were treating their wives, he went silent for 400 years. This is pretty serious stuff to God. So, in the Old Testament, Jesus is saying, now, why, why did they get that? They got it because the men's hearts were hard, and God wanted the women to have a way out. They got a certificate of divorce. Now, See that? Oh, there's. I'll oh, enjoy that trip. See you next fall. Um, you Now do you see the how this works? Okay. But at the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Now that's really interesting, that is. Um, I'm not opposed to the concept of evolution. I see it every day around me. I see something one color marry something of another color, and we have, you know, even humans... Puppies, whatever it is, we have mixtures, and I see evolution all around me, but whenever God did things, he did it in such a way to make sure male and female, whether he did it in six days or six billion years, according to how you read the story of Genesis, I don't fight on that mountain, I just talk about Jesus. The point is, male and female is intentional, can I take take a minute to talk about that, even though this is not a marriage class, just be aware, ladies... You, you know me. I've been here three and a half years. I don't say anything but highly respectful and kind things about women. And that's the way it's going to be. I will, however, ask you to watch yourself on one thing. Whenever I did a bunch of marriage counseling, again, don't do that now, but I used to, um, I found time after time after time, the man had no interest in making the woman think like a man. But the woman was all in on trying to make the man think like a woman. And when he didn't, there's something wrong with him. If he doesn't want to be with me when I'm shopping for a couch, there's something wrong with him. If if he doesn't want to be with me when I'm talking about, this is what I want to do about meals for the next month, there's something wrong with him. If he doesn't see that a sock on the floor is an insult to all of civilized society, there's something wrong with him. Now, guys that's not an excuse for you not to care and not to listen and not to pick up your laundry. What I'm trying to say is this. Ladies, he's a guy on purpose. And although I will grant you, men are much more simplistically designed than women, there is no question for that. We are very similar to dogs in that if you feed us and pet us, we are completely fulfilled. And I'm aware that you might be more complex because God had experience when he made you. However you want to put that is fine. But there's a need for men. And our society is going to find that out to its heart. You can drop men into a living hell of combat. And most of them will come back and be able to mow the lawn and play with the kids. You do that with women, the long-term effects, this is something you are not hearing, it is a scandal. The percentage of men who come back from Iraq, Afghanistan, with PTSD is high. But it's nothing compared to that of women. The vast majority of them come back unable to function. The way, now, if they saw combat, If they were in a forward operating base or something, different story. But if they were in combat, is it because you're different or inferior? No, it is because you're women, we're men. We are designed for different things. God, so Jesus is saying, he made them different, but you're incomplete. A male is not a female. A female is not a male. They need the other. We desperately do. We need each other. And I'll I'll even give you this. Men need women more than women need men. How's that? And I, I believe that's true. But regardless of whether it is or not, Jesus says you need each other. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother. Let's leave mom and dad. My wife and I have a deal. I won't be Bill if she won't be Martha. I won't be my dad if she won't be her mom. Now, by the way, I think her mom's a fantastic woman, but I married this one, not that one, right? Uh, And again, we leave, and then the two will become one flesh. I know there's some people who make this about sex, and sex is absolutely involved in the one flesh thing, absolutely, but that's just a small part of it. It means we work as a team. We work as a unit. Um, (laughs) Remember... weddings are interesting. Uh, I had um, a wedding once up in the Detroit area where, and I'm always about this. I'm, it's, it's not my wedding, it's yours. So if you want to make a change the last minute, make a change. Well, last minute they came up and said, my aunt wants to read something. Fine. We can do that. So at this particular point, this woman gets up and she's walking by me. She's just looking at me. That's interesting. I'm still here, so evidently she's not a good witch. Anyway, um, she, so she, she went to the, the mic and read this whole thing about, you know, the high power is only in yourself, and you need to find yourself, and uh, as you get married, make sure that you don't lose yourself, but that you remain who you are, and you remain who you are, and that you keep it. And I'm going, you're trying to undo what I'm doing here. You know, it's just, you know, I had the license, so I won. I won, and that's important. But the whole thing was, she was coming in saying, separate. No, 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 no. You're team. you team. Doesn't mean you have to do everything together. My wife likes to watch figure skating. I like to let her. From another room. She prefers me in another room because when I'm in the same room I make comments. I'm not going to give you those comments. They're no longer two, but they're one flesh. What God has joined together, let no one separate. Now, by the way, Jesus didn't make up that phrase that was well known in in the centuries around that time as a warning to the community. I still end my weddings when I do a ceremony, if the couple allow. Again, it's not mine, it's theirs. With the phrase, what God has joined together, let no man put asunder. I do it the King James way. I'm not warning them. I'm warning the community. You back these two up. You support them. You don't start trying to pull one away. You don't, you don't cause any disasters. Or in the Song of Solomon, the woman might have said, you don't send any little foxes into the garden. Get the point? And so he's looking at the Pharisees saying, your whole job is to try to find a way to make this work. Why is the first question out of your mouth, when do we get to get rid of them? That's interesting. By the way, Matthew goes uh, at some length further than this. When we go through Matthew, we'll look at it. When they were in a house again, the disciples asked Jesus about this. We find out in Matthew, they were saying, man, that's strict. Because they had started to think that if they got married and it didn't work out, they could just kind of dump them. And Jesus was going, no, no, you make it work. You, the guy, make it work. Now, again, is that always possible? Paul lets us know it's not always possible. Please don't misunderstand me. But the Jews at that time had fallen into two camps. We won't go into the technical names for all of this. The Old Testament says that a man could divorce his wife if he found uncleanliness in her. In my opinion, it is absolutely obviously talking about she is sexually profligate. Outside the home, but even the book of Hosea teaches us that might be your fault. When her back, <laughs> it, it, God was not trying; He wanted to protect women in this marriage covenant. But there were two schools of thought. One, and the Pharisees were split into two schools. One said uh, sexual sin is the only reason you can separate. The other said uncleanness means any way that she displeases you, even a burnt meal. That was a big church concept at the time. A lot of followers. Jesus seems to have come down pretty hard on the, no, we make this as a permanent thing. Now, here's where it gets, and again, we want to tell Jesus stories, but here we got to talk about doctrine, so we have to. He answered, anyone who divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another man, she commits adultery. Now, some of you in this room are divorced and remarried. You might be getting nervous at this point. Please, be at peace. Let Jesus take care of this. But we need to talk about what adultery means. In the Catholic faith, although not often taught anymore, it is believed that you're not divorced until the church says you are. Therefore, if you marry somebody else without church permission you're committing adultery every time you have sex with them. That became the doctrine of Churches of Christ in the 1920s and 30s. It was not until then. In fact, when that had been first started showing up in the pages of the Gospel Advocate in 1928, run out of Nashville, uh, some of the greatest leaders, conservative, hardline, far-right leaders in the Churches of Christ, like Foy E. Wallace, called that teaching a damnable heresy. But within 30 years, it became the always-taught Church of Christ doctrine. It's amazing how people who don't know history or fall for anything. What does it mean to commit adultery? It doesn't always mean sex. It can. Adultery in Scripture is separate from sec- sexual sin. <coughs> Every time you get a list of sins, you'll find that sexual sin is listed separately from adultery. Why? Because adultery is bigger. It means breaking covenant. For example, God told the Israelites in Jeremiah, do not make a treaty, an alliance with the Egyptians. They did. He said, you've committed adultery with the Egyptians. Isaiah, they had committed adultery by making gods out of wood and stone. Well, there's no sex involved here. It's just they had a covenant with God and they broke it. In Malachi, they broke it with violence toward their wives. There were other, we we could go on. Just be aware, adultery means the breaking of your covenant. So, anyone who divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery against that woman. He broke his covenant with that woman. If she divorces her husband and marries another man, she commits adultery because she has broken her covenant with this man. You get the point? How do, you, how do we get over that? We repent of it. Does that mean you have to then leave this marriage and go? No, it doesn't mean to, to repent of adultery. You have to commit adultery. You, you have a covenant. Keep your covenant. 1 Corinthians 7, he says, whatever state you're in, stay there. Don't break that covenant. And he's talking about marriage there. Um, and a very complex chapter that is as well. Now, Matthew goes a bit further, so I probably need to bring this up. He says, all right, I'm going to put names on him here, and I'm aware your names could be the names, and I'm, I'm not picking on you. If Bob and Mary, Bob decides he wants to be married to Sue, not Mary, so he divorces her, he has committed adultery. He goes over to Sue. They make a covenant. That's not adulterous, unless he breaks it. But in Matthew, it says, and he forces Mary, that first woman, to commit adultery. Well, when I was a boy, I was told that meant that eventually she's going to have sex, and that's adultery, even if she gets remarried. Really? A whole lot of women can't control their sexual impulses? Is that what you're saying, preacher? That's exactly what he was saying. And he was dead wrong and slanderous, but most likely sincere. You can be sincerely wrong. In my life, I can prove in my life that you can also be sincerely stupid. Examples abound. He causes her to commit adultery because she made a covenant to him which she can no longer keep. That's why. But does that mean she has sinned? No. No. It means she broke covenant, but it wasn't her choice. What do you do now? Scripture says in 1 Corinthians 7, if a man doesn't want to live with you or a woman doesn't want to live with you, let him go. You are no longer under obligation, as some of the newer versions put it. It literally is you're no longer under contract. You're released from that. That wasn't your choice. You're free. Do what you wish. And Paul used it, and it was a legal term, and Paul was a lawyer. So, I've thrown a lot out there. The whole point here, though, is not about when can we divorce? But rather, let's understand something. When you make a covenant, God wants you to keep your covenant. And when you don't, it makes everything messy. Can you be forgiven? Absolutely. Just let's let's make sure we don't we don't take this lightly. We're careful about this. So I've said an awful lot. Um, anybody want to talk about this, or do we go back to a Jesus story? Where are we? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Good. I'm glad you said that. How many of you have heard that all sins are the same? Heard that? Don't get that in the Bible. Closest thing you get to it in the Bible is that all have sinned. Okay? And another one is that if you're trying to be saved by keeping the law and you break one part of the law, you're guilty of all the law. And so people are going, okay, that must mean all sins are equal. Let me ask you a question Would you rather somebody lied about you or killed you? Are all sins the same to you? Would you rather somebody vandalized your house? Or kidnapped your child. You get the point? Not all sins are the same. In fact, the Bible talks about some sins are unto death and some are not. Remember that? There's a sin which is unto death and there's others that are not. Um, we, need to, we need to be really careful about that, actually. But the thing is, we've been told that by teachers and Bible class teachers for years. It's not in Scripture. It's one of those myths, kind of like that Eve ate an apple, you know, might have. Bible just says fruit. Might have been a mango, pomegranate, um, a peanut, which is technically a legume, but also a fruit. Anyway, uh, I'll move on, shall I? The the point, uh, it, it's, I've brought this up before, my favorite story ever on this is, um, you know, I could do so many others. The Absalom was hung in the tree by his hair. No, the Bible said he got his head stuck. You know, on and on and on. My dad and I, I was just a boy. He was doing one of Bible studies in this lady's house. And, you know, the lady said something like, as the Bible says, make cave while the sun shines. I kind of, I was only seven or eight, but I already knew it better than that. Uh, I looked at my dad because I also knew not to say anything unless dad did. Dad looked over, and he goes, well, where, where do you find that? And she goes, well, I'm not sure. I think it's in Timothy somewhere. And we all agreed that would be a good place for it and just moved on, but <clears throat> it's not there. There's a whole lot of things people say the Bible says. that, like, like I said earlier, Bible's simple if you just read it and you're honest. I wouldn't say that. Um, any other questions about this? We? Yes, Randy. All right, Randy, that is an amazing and insightful question, and I think we probably do need to deal with it. He says, um, there are times that two people live together outside of marriage. Can they be in covenant? According to the secular law, yes. If you stay a certain number of years, in most states, it's called common law marriage. Um, You'll usually find that out if you try to leave, and then you get sued And there's alimony and the like and and property redistribution. But you've really opened up something there, Randy, which is even bigger than this. Um, Interestingly, the, the generation coming up now is having sex outside of marriage far less frequently than their parents and is delaying marriage and once married, so far, it's early days, so far seem to be staying in marriage longer. It it could be the social pendulum is swung back somewhat, somewhat like the pro-life pendulum. Uh, Far more people now are opposed to abortion than were 20, 30 years ago. It's swinging that direction. I have no idea. I'm not a sociologist, so I can't really explain all that, but the marriage thing, I got, uh, my phone is an interesting place. You know, yesterday morning, it was probably eight or something, and Cammy comes through and, you know, it, it's a weekend off and I'm already on the phone and I'm saying, already dealing with contract things that the church is doing here and then there's this, that, and the other. And got a text from a guy I know saying, we want to get married. Do we have to have a ceremony? I knew what he meant, but I decided to act like a detent. I texted back and I said, no, just get your license and, and go before a judge or a magistrate. No, what we really want to do. <laughs> stand on the beach. Nobody else, just us. Hmm. What does the Bible say? So I had to come back and say, the Bible gives us no marriage ceremony. Are you aware of that? In fact, in most marriages that I can see in Scripture, the woman wasn't even there. Remember? Jacob, Rachel, the men all had a party. One was just told to show up. You know, so've uh, that pendulum has swung the other way, has it not? Now now, it's, now the women are the ones that are important. Uh, it's your turn. However, there was still a covenant. By the way, there's only one marriage in all of Scripture where they were said to love each other before they got married. Yeah, you know it. Jacob and Rachel. All the others, is kind of like, here's who you're going to be married to. Okay. You know, and, and you unwrapped her, and there she was, you know. And, and that's, uh, you know, life is like a box of chocolates in many ways, I guess. And, uh, you know, oh, I got the one with the nut inside, you know. That, anyway. <laughs> However, most of the time that works out really well. I just read a long article in a sociology um, magazine, it's a quarterly, comes out, on interviews with people, young people in America today being arranged marriages who are thrilled with it and want nothing to do with any other. And I'm just going, wow, it's amazing. But it works. But I'm, I'm not trying to avoid your question. When are you married is a real, real issue. And if you're thinking, when you get the license and such, well, what about them? They didn't get licenses. Well, what about this? What about that? There are all kinds of, how about this one? In America, when you get married, over 1,000 different laws change applying to you. Most of them tax laws to do a tax and property. But we, we let that camel get all the way into the tent there um, to mess So, you get married, you've been married for 40 years, and your beautiful wife or your wonderful husband dies. You mourn, but you're lonely. Three or four years later, whatever it is, you meet somebody. They're lonely. Their mate had died. You two are compatible. You enjoy each other. You want to be married. But if you want to be married in most circumstances that I have found, and again, I'm not a tax accountant either, you're, you're risking poverty because pensions go away. Tax benefits go away. All this, it's horrible, and nobody talks about it in America. It's not true in Britain, by the way, but in America, you can lose your health insurance. You can lose because now you're, you're married before. It, it's so stupid. And I've had people look at me and they say, we love each other so desperately. We, we're so lonely. We want to be together. But I've told them, you know, in this case, I don't think it's the government's business. And I'll, I'll do a wedding ceremony for you. Because in Scripture, you were married when the community said you were. That's the best I can tell you. Whatever that community rule was, sadly, some of it was, he caught you fair and square as you were trying to run away from the battle, so you're married. That's awful. But when the community said you were married, you were married. Our community, I think sometimes our church community needs to trump the legal community in some circumstances. I've told my wife before, it's not a question of when, it's a question uh, of if, rather. It's a question of when you come see me in prison. Because there are times I'm just, I, I just say, no, government doesn't get to make that call. That's that's new for them. That's us. This is us. So um, we have dear friends who everybody else thinks is married in the eyes of the law, but no, they're married in the eyes of God. That's good enough. Um, But again, that's my decision. Uh, uh, Full disclosure: I have preacher friends who are appalled at me for this. So I could be wrong. There you are. Yes, sir. Well, in in fact, and you're absolutely correct, I think that's why there's a theological argument. Jesus did not say, for example, do not commit adultery, you know, do not commit sexual sin. Let's call it that, pornea. Sexual sin, because he didn't want us to have fun. He understood there'd be consequences, and those would not be fun. So whenever God puts theology up there, it's not to keep us from having fun, it is to protect us from things such as this. Uh, There's no question that living together outside of marriage benefits the man, not the woman. The woman gets left with the kids. The woman gets left with the bills, with the setup and the like, and the man's off and gone. And it's it's a horrible crime against the woman. So you're, you're absolutely right. You said two things. Did you have another one? Okay, that was two. We have hit the time...